You know, when we come to think about God, and uh, particularly when we pray, or when we are just seeking to worship God, what's the kind of picture do we have of God in our minds? I'm not talking about trying to paint an idolatrous picture, but we have an imagination and we come before God whom we don't see. We have kind of concepts. One of the concepts that people have which isn't very helpful is God as being some distant judge, some person who's got it in for you and doesn't really you know, care about you, is always in a bad mood and this kind of thing. That's not the God of the Bible. Can I have an amen to that? But at the other extreme, there's this kind of concept of God, which I'm calling today, borrowing from my French friends, Papa Gatto. Papa Gatto, there's a picture of him here, nicely designed by our in-house designer. And uh, it's a phrase which describes fathers, the kind of overindulgent fathers. Maybe fathers that travel a lot, come home and um, just uh, spoil their kids, and no discipline, and no real love, just handing out candy. And sometimes we have a concept of God a little bit like that, that God is there, He's got to be there for us, He's, he's there to give us everything that we need. We all like being indulged, and um, over Christmas, there's a few little indulgences that we enjoy, like having good time, like having good fun and being pampered, and we buy special gifts, receive special gifts, and it's nice to know that somebody's thinking about us, and somebody cares, and all that. It's very, very good. But when we really think about who God is, we cannot allow a papagato kind of concept of God to enter in. And uh, when we think about how we approach God, we've got to really understand who He is, and what what we mean to him, but more, more than that even, what he means to us as the great, wonderful God of the universe. And I know when we start thinking about God, we can go to no better place than Jesus when he taught us to think about God. On occasion, his disciples said, you know, you're praying, how, how can we pray? And, and in a couple of versions in the Gospels, there's this, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And in Matthew 6, Jesus says this when instructing us on how to pray. And when we read this, I want you to notice how much it depends on who God is and how we understand Him to be. Jesus says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I don't want to sound like Scrooge today from the... Uh, Dickens' story, Christmas Carol. But we've got to be very careful we don't have a kind of Santa Claus mentality when we come to God. Now, that is no criticism of what we've done today in having our various versions of Santa Claus. I mean, it's great to know that Santa Claus, after all, comes from the Philippines, because a couple of years ago, I thought he was coming from Nigeria, and there were all different kinds of, of people. And 
and kids and imaginations and story. Don't ever, don't ever be down on that because imagination is a very important part of the life of a child and indeed something we as adults need to maintain. Wonderful imagination and part of a child's psychological development is this ability to, to go with fantasy and imagination. It's, it's very, very important. But I want you to notice that our kids today had no confusion about the real purpose of Christmas. The whole of their presentation was, hey guys, you guys, don't forget what Christmas is all about. And so it's great to have fun and all the trappings and all the traditions and, and that. And I enjoy it. And I hope you do as well. But we're not allowing any of that hedonism, pleasure-seeking, frivolity to enter into our real concept of God. When we look around in the world, we see how much they love Christmas, especially the shops, for very evident reasons. The retail trade depends on sometimes as much as 60% of their income for the Christmas rush, the Christmas season. So I guess we can say we're glad at least Jesus is good for something in our society today. But without being too cynical about the whole thing and entering into the spirit of fun and festivity and enjoyment, we also got to realize that for many people, Christmas is the time of great stress, great pressure, and which some people even break. Our desire to have the perfect Christmas can easily degenerate into unrealistic demands on ourselves and others. Still on a slightly sad note, Many people will be facing Christmas with dread today for various reasons. Perhaps it will be the first Christmas that they're spending since the loss of a loved one. And people who spend much of the year in loneliness suffer even more at Christmas time. And that's why we should be out of our way, go out of our way to ensure that people are friend, have friends around them. When I think of Christmas, I remember something that's carried with me for many years. A friend of mine, many years ago, Christmas was always a very difficult time for him because it was a memory of a very, very bad childhood. And he said, I can even describe the color of the wallpaper when as a six-year-old, I had to scrape off the lovingly made, homemade Christmas pudding made by my mother because of my father's bad temper all year round, but particularly at Christmas, it was a time of violence and, and heartache and trouble. And, and I, I don't think we should underestimate how much of the Holy Spirit we need to bring us to the place where we can truly understand who God is as our loving, heavenly Father. And even for, for those of us who come from relatively happy homes and relatively stable homes, there is no earthly father who could ever, ever compare with our heavenly papa. And that's not over-familiar, because Jesus taught us to call him Abba, which is a very, very familiar, familial term, family term of intimacy of kids speaking to their dad. He is our heavenly Abba our Heavenly Father. But we've got to be careful because today, and I think if we can be a little self-critical for a while, in charismatic circles, we have a kind of almost Santa Claus 
almost a papagato view of God, that he's always there to shower on us sugary things, the kind of things that show he really loves us. Whatever the question, the answer is yes, 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 of course, take it. And uh, we want every day to be Christmas Day. We come to him with a shopping list, hoping that our shopping list of requests match his Santa's bag. Everything pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Laden with gifts, gift-wrapped blessings, pressed-down blessings. God is good. Hallelujah. Never forget that. But he is not a soft, indulgent Papagato. He is our heavenly Father. Yes, he is. But he isn't there to nurse our pleasure-seeking love for, for, for those, those kind of things. If God was an indulgent father, we would never grow up as kids. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, or maybe you as a parent attempted to be this way, I don't know. Seeing kids who are overindulged, spoiled. Sometimes parents go over the top to kind of compensate for bad parenting for the rest of the year. But here's a good little guideline, not that... Not that I'm lecturing you today, but here's a good little guideline. Your kids really value your presence more than your presence, if you get the play on words. And the, gate, the greatest gift of all is the gift of God's presence himself. And that's really what is at the heart of the Christmas story. God came himself. And... Uh, it shows that he is concerned for our long-term well-being, that he doesn't give us everything at once. All the things that we might wish for don't come. Some of the things we wish for the most don't ever come this side of heaven. When I was in Brazil, I noticed on the television they had had this um, constant round of television adverts. I've missed, I've missed uh, that here, so I don't know what is current in Britain at the moment, but I guess I'll find out in the next few hours. But uh, there is oh, the television programs and the giving advertisements getting you to buy stuff for Christmas. Uh, one of the popular things they were singing there in English when, uh, no, no, I nearly sang it, but I you see self-control today, I won't sing it. When you wish upon a star, how many people remember that song? That old Disney song from the 19, 1940, actually, the Disney adaptation of Pinocchio in real good old-fashioned animation, none of this computer-generated stuff. Pinocchio, the story of Pinocchio. The theme song for that was When You Wish Upon a Star, I'll read it out for you in a moment, and it, it, it won an Oscar. Listen to the words. All right, you're ready, ready to go with this? All right. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. If your heart is in your dreams, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star as dreamers do, fate is kind. She brings to those who love a sweet fulfillment of the secret longing. Like a boat out of the blue, fate steps in and sees you through. Mm. God is good, but not like that. Yeah, all the time, but never like that. None of the time. And uh, it's very interesting, and I don't want to go too far down this line to, for to force on you my own personal interests and reflections, but I, I can't help but notice the philosophy here. 
These are the seeds of what became the New Age movement. All you have to do is have a, have a heart focus. Whatever you can dream about will be yours. Wishing upon a star. Where does that come from? The idea of fatalism. We're governed by the stars and fate steps in. Fate never steps in. Jesus stepped in. God steps in. He's a personal loving God and he is good. Never forget that he is good. Sometimes he is so good that he won't let you have just what you want. Thank God for that. Any parent knows the wisdom of that. He is no papagato. There is a spiritual danger that we kind of turn upon God or project upon God the spirit of the age, which is give me, give me, give me, give me. Now everything's for good feelings and, and happiness is what it's all about. Happiness, give me happiness now, God. That's what I want for Christmas, happiness. Holiness can wait. I'm playing with a false distinction. It's not as if you have to choose between happiness on the one side and holiness way on the other side because the truth is we discover that holiness is happiness in the end anyway. Even you have to go through a lot of trials and tribulations and difficulties and God is so good at organizing events of our lives so that our lives are shaped and formed to be like Him based out of a real, true intimacy and knowledge of Him. The kind of picture that I am preaching against, not this as an event, I'll explain in a minute, but the kind of picture that I'm preaching against is the picture of a child sitting on Santa's lap. Okay, now, I'm not against that stuff. You get what I'm saying? But that's no model for our relationship with God. A child sitting on Santa Claus, and all it is, I've, I've got a wish here. What do you want for Christmas? Hello, hello, little boy. Hello, little girl. Ho, ho, ho. And what do you want Santa to bring you for Christmas? Great, great stuff. Good imagination. Great fantasy. Great fun. So long as we teach our kids that God is not some Santa Claus. But the issue is this. The child is thinking about what she wants to get or he wants to get. There's no relationship there. No relationship. It's about getting, not interested in getting to know Santa Claus. He's just that weird person. But um, as long as I can play this game, I'm going to get something for Christmas. How different the description of Jesus. And he teaches us how to pray. And he says, start like this. Our Father. I think we need to understand relational prayer. Before we even can grasp what intercessory prayer is or petitionary prayer. Relational prayer. It's all about getting to know God. That's why God wants us in His company. He wants us to talk to Him. He wants us to enjoy Him. He wants us to get to know Him. Develop this passion of getting to know God. So Jesus says, when you pray, begin. Our Father. It's about a relationship. And, but understand who He is. Our Father in heaven. Remember a moment ago I talked about how we need to retain imagination. Kids are gifted with imagination. And by the time we become adults, we kick all the imagination out. That we don't even, not even have enough imagination to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven. Imagine that. Imagine what that really means. Our Father in heaven. 
Have we, any of us ever witnessed that? Has any of us ever experienced that? It's certainly not, not in the way that we will one day know what we were praying all those years when we said, Our Father in heaven, this great transcendent realm, not way out there and totally uh, uninvolved with life here because the Christmas story tells us that the God of heaven came in the person of Jesus Christ, came to sit where we sit, to live the kind of life that we live and to experience the depths of brokenness that us with all of our broken lives will never even begin to experience that brokenness upon the cross. So it begins with relationship and reminds us who He is. He is the Father of glory. He is the sovereign ruler, the God of the universe, the God who for, are all, for, for whom are all things and by whom are all things. He is the Alpha and the Omega and every letter of the alphabet in between. We approach Him therefore with wonder and astonishment. With, and I, I think this is what I like about Christmas. I like wonder. And even, you know, there's a bit of a child in all of us. Uh, they say the only difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. So I'm dropping a big hint here for somebody who may be sitting on the front. Oh, yes, she, she knew what was coming. I'm talking about my wife in case you're first visitor here. Um, but even today, <laughs> with some, some of the kids, some of the older kids, their eyes are quite open. They're saying, this is nonsense. This guy up here with furry whiskers and all that kind of stuff. But the younger kids, eyes wide open and this childlike ability to wonder, to wonder. And we've got to have that. We've got to have that starts to minister to some deep parts of our human personality that have been created with a sense of transcendence within us, with a sense of spirit within us. And, and we long to enter that realm of majesty, of divinity, and of God's wonderful, wonderful kingdom. And the amazing thing is, he says, this God who is the God of heaven is your Father. Searching for some kind of earthly illustration of that. I'm afraid I'm going to have to go somewhere else other than Buckingham Palace for this one. I've got to go to the Oval Office. Because the illustration I want to draw now doesn't quite work with our British monarchy. And when I tell the story, you'll, you'll see why. So, we, so we're going to go to America right now. We're going to witness in the Oval Office. We're going to have one of, one of the great presidents sitting there, uh, deliberating over the great affairs of state. Uh, still, they tell us that the president of the United States of America is the most powerful man in the world, so they say. And there in the, in the Oval Office, and, and there he is commanding great issues of, of the nation and, uh, and of, of the world. And sometimes if you watch some movies of the universe, and anyway, there is the United States and the president there. But right in the middle of the Oval Office is one of the sons, one of the daughters, coloring a picture on the floor. Not messing up the carpet, of course they wouldn't do that, but coloring in a picture. And all around... These great decisions are being made. The Father is the most powerful person on the planet, but he's still my dad. And that's what it's like when we enter into the presence of God and start discussing things with him. And, 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 and there he is. He's the God who is ruling everything. 
The God who is over and in charge of everything. The God who, who is from all eternity. The God who is working out His plan and, and the story of God. It's more than the Christmas story. There are stories about God and the story of God began in eternity past and has intersected with great historical events right the way through history and it shall continue till the end of history to the very last day when God's kingdom shall have fully come. And there we are, coloring in our pictures, totally content to be in the presence, knowing that there's something very different about our dad. He is the God of glory, the God of power, and that God who loves us and wants the best for us, but not a God who will indulge every whim or every little desire as if he has no other role but to satisfy our every selfish wish. And then the petitions begin. And I had to remind myself that actually the very next part of the Lord's Prayer is a petition. It is a request. Jesus is saying, pray like this. Remember who God is. He is your Father. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God is your Father. And then if you understand who He is, He is the God of heaven, our Father in heaven and then he says, now you begin to ask him for things. But if you really know who he is, this is the first thing you will ask, Jesus says. May your holy name be honored. What a deep, deep petition. You haven't got to your shopping list. But when you see God for who he is, the thing that you're going to be most passionate about is the honor and glory of his name. May your name be honored. When you think about that in today's world, it is not a small prayer. Our French pastors from Paris are in Iraq right now. Christine and David Tabo. And Christine wrote an email saying to all the churches that she's in touch with, saying, you should not give any Christmas presents to each other this year. You should send all the money to Iraq and care for the people there. So intense. It was the suffering that they're experiencing and seeing. And, and it's not just Iraq. We've got Syria. And even not to mention the nations which are still being terribly influenced by this, by this plague of Ebola. And when we see that, there's something in us that is moved, and it's not just human suffering. It is, of course, about human suffering, but not just that. Because there's something else going on. People are saying, where is God in all of this? How can God be a God of love when all this is happening in the world? People are killing each other and people are starving and, uh, and then there's all these diseases and, and there are people in the world who are saying, where is God? How can your God be a God of love and allow all of this? And we want to say, no, 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 He is a God of love. We want to see His name vindicated. We want them to know that our God is a God of love, that He's a good God. We want them to know that and, and, and we long for that. So we say, God, let your name be honored. We want your name to be vindicated. We want your name to be honored. We don't want your name to be associated with all the, what's gone wrong in the world. God is not the troublemaker. The devil's the troublemaker. We want to tell the world that. We want to tell the world how special God is.
That God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. That's what we want. Big desire in us. And how can we do that? Sometimes we just have to turn to God and say, God, will you honor your name? Will you send forth a move of your Holy Spirit? Will you send forth light and truth and revelation even in the darkness of our age and of our times and say, God, let the world see who you are. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. He came to show them who God really is. The light came into the darkness to give the revelation of who God is. And when you look at Jesus, you can really honor God. And you can say, if that's what God is like, I want him. Everywhere Jesus went, he spread the reputation of the Father's name. And so, if we are passionate about God, our Father, we won't be asking him just for things. We will be focusing on him and asking him that he would reveal himself and that his name would be held in honor in our hearts and in the hearts of our nation and the world. But then the next question is, how will he be hallowed? How will his name be honored? And then the next petition comes out of that. Our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. That's how his name is going to be honored. When people surrender to his rule and recognize that he is the king. And when Christ came, he came as king. The, the, the Christmas story involves people recognizing him as the king. Even when he was a baby in the manger. May your kingdom come. May your rule be established here and now. In the hearts of men and women, that's where it begins. In our own hearts. But have you noticed how the kingdom comes? The kingdom comes through a man. Christ. This is amazing. God doesn't just manifest his kingdom independent of human population. Because even from the very beginning, God chose Adam and Eve and said, rule Have dominion. Represent me. Represent my kingdom. God's desire is always to show his kingdom through our lives. Of course, Adam and Eve blew it big time. And we've all followed in their footsteps. footsteps. But along comes another man. A second Adam. And the last one. Because the first Adam failed. The second Adam didn't fail. And he came in flesh, showing the kingdom. We're a long way from Papa Gatto, aren't we now? And that tells us that God says, when you pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. What he's saying here is that first of all, the kingdom comes into our hearts. Not just that we receive the kingdom and live happily ever after. But we receive the kingdom and in a sense become the kingdom. In a sense. We become the kingdom. Because when our lives are surrendered to God and we're saying, May your kingdom come, may your will be done. We are now lights in a dark place. And we reflect the light of his love and his presence and his nature through our lives. Not just as individuals. Remember our father, not just my father. Our father. 
And God's kingdom is seen in the community, the community of the king, which is another word for the church of Jesus Christ. This kingdom comes through us as we surrender to the rule of God and, and become the kingdom community that he's called us to be. And in that way, we represent him and his kingdom to the world when they see that we want his glory and that we're not looking for anything else other than him. When we actually say God is enough, we don't want anything outside of him because he meets the deepest longings of our lives. He is the anything our hearts desire, isn't he? He is our secret longing, truly. And when Jesus stepped into the world, it wasn't fate stepping in to see us through. It was God stepping in to say, I'm here and showing us his way. Now we've come a long way and we come to the next petition. And only now are we actually thinking about ourselves. Interesting, isn't it? The next petition is, give us this day our daily bread. We're well into the prayer before God reminds us that He is the God of provision and that He hasn't forgotten the fact that we need stuff. Praise the Lord for that. But can you see the priority? We're so full of who He is. We so want to draw near Him. We want to enjoy our relationship with Him, discover who He is, become like Him, begin to represent Him. Say, oh yes, by the way, I need something. I don't know if you've ever had a friend, or a so-called friend, that every time you see them, they always want something. I have a friend, I still think, consider them a friend, but the only time they ever call me is when they want something. Have you ever got had friends like that? Uh-oh, they're on the phone again. Uh, Amanda, find out what he wants. <laughs> Hi! I nearly said his name there, but... I'm too godly and holy to, to do that. I wouldn't want to expose anybody. But anyway, no, he is a good friend, but he has this tendency. And I said, okay, if he's on the line, find out what he wants, because that's the only time he ever calls me. Have you, have you got friends like that? Okay, somebody was very loud up there. <laughs> but let me ask you now a, a deeper question. Is that how we treat God? Can you imagine God's telephone? Who is it? Colin. Oh, what does he want? <laughs> he always, always wants something. So when we come into the presence of God, it's not first of all about a shopping list. That's petitionary prayer. Or even intercession, praying for somebody else. First of all, we know him. We enjoy him for who he is. Then we can pray with confidence. Because we know we have a relationship with him. We know that he saved us. We know that, that we're in his kingdom, that he loves us. And, and we prioritize according to the priorities of the kingdom. But then Jesus invites us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I'm going to spiritualize this in a moment. But I want you to see what I'm doing when I do it. Because I believe in the first instance, what this means is God sees your physical needs. Oh, it's so good to know that he does. And because he's our father, he says, I'm going to take care of you. 
What kind of father would he be if he didn't take care of us? Of course he's going to take care of us. And so he says, ask me. Ask me for your daily bread. And um, at this time, we're probably asking more for cake than bread. I don't know. But, but what this means is a wonderful Jesus kind of talk this is. Daily bread. Jesus kind of talk. Because it's so simple and yet also very profound. Because the bread that he gives us, this is a symbol of everything that we need. And there's nothing more basic and more staple than the need for bread. But actually, it, it stands for everything else that we legitimately need, that God knows about. He wants us to ask Him about it, and He is going to provide. Hallelujah. Give us this day our daily bread with confidence. Give us this day our daily bread. Today, what we need, we can trust God. So I, I didn't... I, didn't quite pick up the actions, but I did get what they were spelling out. T-R-U, I got the S, S, T, trust. Thank you, kids. It was a good lesson. Trust. Give us this day our daily bread. Trust. But I want to spiritualize this. Uh, and you see what I'm doing now. I'm taking the word bread. I'm going to use it in a spiritual sense. But I want you to know that it really at least begins physical. But there are other things that we need other than physical bread. We need the spiritual food from heaven. The spiritual nourishment. The strength. Because if you're going to serve God, you've got to have some strength. You've got to have something. You've got to have some resources. And, and this reminds me that God in Christ has given us every last drop of resource we'll ever need in order to honor Him and bring Him glory. And we can draw on those resources that we might be strong with all the basic vitamins of, of physical bread and physical food, whatever that might mean in the spiritual sense. And not just the basic vitamins, but all the micronutrients as well and all the energy boosters that are needed in the spiritual realm. So today, if you're feeling weak in the things of God and the things of spirit, know this, God will give you heavenly bread today to satisfy your heart, to strengthen you, body, soul, and spirit. And I can't resist a bit of Swahili. Amen. Amen. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And our hearts are so full Times in the Bible when Jesus multiplied the bread and, and they fed them, he said, you came not because, not because I multiplied the bread, but you came because you were satisfied. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the only one who will satisfy you. And let's remember that when at this time of the year, which is always very good, but always easily, uh, it's easy for us to get into distraction mode. Focus on Christ. Whatever you look for, whatever you long for, whatever you think you need, you need Him more than any of these things. And when you have Him, hardly any of those things seem that significant ever again. He is our daily bread. And then the prayer goes on and you see each request flows from the former request, which begins from the revelation of who God is and His invitation for intimate relationship through Christ. What's the next request? When you're serving God and drawing resources, you discover that there's some stuff going on in your life which impedes you. So he says, learn to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
I find it very interesting because right now, way into the prayer, Jesus then starts talking about, hey, you better start talking to God about the stuff that is messed up on the inside. I love it because sometimes we think we've got to do it at the very beginning because if we don't, God's not going to listen to us for the rest of the prayer. God, I want to talk to you about some stuff for a few minutes. Before I say that, I've been a very bad boy, like Santa Claus. If you've been a good girl, being a good boy, who's going to say no? Who's going to say, have you been good? Yes, of course I have. If I hadn't, you've got to give it to me anyway, you funny, furry-faced man. That's what it's all about. You're Santa Claus. So we kind of go through this religious thing. Oh, God, I come before you and I know, oh, God. I've got a few requests, you see, coming up, and I've got to make sure I'm in his good books. I know, yes, 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 Abby, yes, yes, yes. Now, by the way, God, this is what I really want to talk about. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Amen. But we're in his presence it's right halfway through the conversation, Jesus then says, now you better start looking a little deeper and, and, dis, and saying, I want to serve God and I, I need Him and I'm feeding on Him, but there's stuff holding me back. God, clear that out of the way. Help me with this. Forgive my sins. This isn't about coming to get saved every time you pray because we call Him Father because we have already been saved. But it's gone. I, I want to deal with stuff in my life that can impede the relationship with you. I want to deal with stuff in my life, Lord, that will block the flow of your kingdom through me and in me. Because I want you to be manifested in me. I want to fulfill your deepest desire that I should become like Jesus. That's what the whole purpose of Jesus coming into the world was about. But also, he reminds us, don't just think about forgiveness you need from God. Be ready to give it to others. Oh, this is such deep spirituality. And you can see the logic very, very easily here. You know when the lawyer came and said, you know, uh, which is the greatest commandment? And the response to them, Jesus said, the two. Second one's very similar to the first. First one was what? Love God, yes, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second one, very like the first one, is love one another, love your neighbor. And so if you're coming to seek to develop and strengthen and, and enhance your relationship with God by dealing with the stuff that is getting in the way of that relationship, of course you're going to ask God to forgive you. Forgive me my sins, Lord, because I want to be closer than ever. And in the same breath, you've got to say, I forgive others. Why? Because the way you approach God is seen so often in and reflected in your relationships with, with, with one another. This isn't some legalistic, ritualistic, religious thing. It's just sheer relationship. This Lord's Prayer is all about relationship. And so we recognize that the attitude that we have when we want God to forgive us must be that very same attitude that we reflect to other people walking in unity, heart relationship, and in restoration with others. But the prayer isn't finished yet because there's still some other obstacles. I like it because God doesn't allow us to forget the devil, but he doesn't allow us to be obsessed by the devil. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one is the next set of requests. God's saying, in this world that I've sent you, 
to represent me, to develop your relationship with me and grow in your relationship with each other, seeing the kingdom come in you, seeing the kingdom come through you. There'll be weaknesses in you which I want you to deal with and I'll give you some help. But also there's opposition in this world. Opposition in this world. There are trials and tests and temptations. And we need to have that overcoming spirit. And God says, I promise you this. And you need to put this into the heart of your prayer life. Know that I am the Lord who will not lead you into temptation, but lead you out of temptation. The word temptation is ambiguous. It's the same word for two meanings. The first meaning we're probably familiar with is temptation to sin. And God never tempts us to sin. The devil is the one who does that. And he's only successful when he allows us to be drawn away by our own lust. It's, with, it's what's coming within us. And so lead us out into temptation means deliver me from the colon die within. Kill him, Lord. You can give, him a, give me a new colon. And that's what being born again is all about. Thank you, Jesus. Don't look at me as if I'm strange. You need it as well. <laughs> The other meaning of temptation is the word for trial. And uh, this world is broken. And, and you're going to trip over some stuff. You're going to get into some heavy stuff, which, which isn't in the perfect will and plan of God for your life because He never made the world this way. We're going to have trouble. We're going to have difficulty. In fact, that's a clear word from Jesus in the world, you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And he says, as you learn to pray, you will experience this in your life. You will be victorious, you will overcome. And that doesn't always look like you're on the top. It means no matter whatever hits you, you're going to survive. And more than survive, God is with you in the process. And then he, he comes right out and says, deliver us from the evil one. I like that translation evil one, not just evil as a general thing, but the evil one. This reminds us that there is an enemy of our souls. And it's very helpful for us to understand that because we know that it's the enemy that has done this. God is not that God who brings Ebola, who brings wars in this world. No, God is not the troublemaker. It's the enemy. And so God says, learn to pray for that deliverance. Deliverance from the evil one. And then the prayer is kind of over. But there's this addition. It's taken from the Old Testament from the time of David, King David. Who was the great prototype king. The great prototype for the Messiah. The kingdom of David. And, and there's this refrain that comes at the end of David's ministry. And preparing to build the temple. And this is now taken up and, and brought into, into this the end of the Lord's Prayer, this doxology, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What a wonderful way to end our praying. What a wonderful thing to remind ourselves on a daily basis that whatever we see, God has the kingdom. This whole world, God has the kingdom. He is the God who is ruling and reigning and working out His purposes no matter how it looks otherwise. 
And all this means we go back to him as we began. Our Father in heaven, let your holy name be honored and glorified. And we end the prayer all going back to him. Because he is the beginning and the end. He is the center and purpose of it all. And we are called to nothing less high than the highest purpose of all. Purpose of all to bring him glory. I think about my friend Kent Maddox. He's not the friend that calls me when we need something. He's another friend. And he used to be Benny Hinn's assistant. He's a pastor minister in his own right now. And he came from a, a background of drug addiction. And Kent, after he got saved, came wonderfully through for, 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 for Jesus. And is a glowing testimony of, of God's power. And Kent wrote a book. And uh, this is how, what he, the title was. And when you know Kent's background, you'll appreciate the title. Here's the title. There's no high like the most high. Kent discovered, and we all discover with him, whatever our background, is that there's no high, nothing more satisfying and nothing higher to go for than the most high God. Don't aim anywhere less. To bring him glory. So this means that we, we remind ourselves right now at this season and any season of course but this season that our heavenly father is not some weak pale sugary sweet papagato father. He is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is a reminder of that other centered love which is the father which is the son and which is the Holy Spirit. And when we see God as our loving Heavenly Father, we know we will never miss out. Never. At least not in the long term. Many things we have to say no to, and maybe there are things that God will say, do you know what? I'm not going to give you that. I'd like to, but I'm not, because I've got another plan for you. I want to grow Christ in you. It's not about just coming and indulging you and giving you instant satisfaction and instant highs and, and living in some kind of fantasy glory land, twinkle, twinkle, little star, or, or when I wish upon a star, or, or that kind of stuff. No, it's about the reality of God's kingdom coming in God's time and in God's way in our life. And in the meantime, we know that we are never going to miss out. We are his blessed kids. We also know that the Christmas story is the great, clear invitation for us to enter into the same story, to become part of God's story, for God's kingdom to be incarnated, so to speak, in our own lives, so that God's kingdom becomes flesh and blood in our lives. So when they see us, they see Christ and see His kingdom and say, oh, is that what it's all about? That story, which began centuries before Christ came, took this decisive turn when he came into the world to sit where we sit and experience what we experience. Seeing the life of Jesus, we can certainly know that our heavenly father is not a self-indulgent father or an indulger of ours. He doesn't indulge us in that kind of way. God's love is not indulgent, it is redemptive. He doesn't come as a papo gâteau. He comes with the God who is living and giving and forgiving but dealing with the real problem in our hearts, which is the deepest problem of all. It's a problem of our sin and separation from the living, loving, giving Heavenly Father and the Christmas story is about dealing with that separation. Emmanuel, 
God with us. <laughs> no, no, actually, no, God with us. Living with us on the planet. And now by His Spirit living in our hearts, that separation is forever over. And that's what the invitation of Christmas was. Jesus came to say, He'd seen me, has seen the Father. Why am I here? To let you know that God has drawn close and He wants you to have a relationship with Him through me. Let's pray. The love of God is the love that draws us closer to Himself and to each other. It might be that today you've never ever accepted Christ as your Savior, never understood that Christmas was not just some religious festival or some secular celebration. It was actually and is actually an invitation. Because I want to know you, Father, for who you really are. I want to respond to that invitation. I want to pray for anybody today that is saying in their hearts, I want to know God. If you say in your heart, Lord, I, I, I don't know, I want to know this, I understand a bit of it, but I want to know more because I want God in my life. The greatest gift of all for me would be to Christ to come and live in me. And that requires a response to his invitation. And if you're ready today to say, you know, I want this, I really want this. If that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray for you. And here's how I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you in a moment to lift your hand. And when you do that, I'll, I'll acknowledge it. And then you can put your hand down and I'll pray specifically for you. Not that my prayers have any magical power, but it's just a, a conclusion. Uh, the, the whole purpose of my message is to help you step closer to him. And if that's you, in a moment, we're going to ask you to lift your hand. Lifting your hand is not going to change anything. It's about what's going on in your heart. But I would love to pray for you today. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for every person who's lifted their hand, every person who's saying, I want God, I want this, I want to understand more. I open my heart because I want to know God like that, the God who loves me, the God who cares for me, the God who sent Christ to die for me. I want a relationship with God through Christ. I ask you to bless them right now. Open their eyes to this, open their hearts to this, Lord. Let them see, let them know, and let them discover the true wonder of who you are. Our loving, heavenly Father. Amen and Amen.